So what color is your front door? What color is your front door? There is a house here in the Columbia area that I love the front door of this house. I just love it. It's a great door. It's a fantastic door. It's a slate blue door. Many times, on many occasions, I've had many different people in my car. We have ridden by this house. I have pointed out how much I love this door. And almost every single person in my car in any of those times is like, nah, that's, that's not a good color for a door. And that's fine because everybody is entitled to their opinion unless their opinion is wrong, right? We know this, right? That's how it goes. So this week, the online real estate company Zillow proclaimed that if you will paint your front door slate blue, you will have the highest profit in selling your house. All right, there you go. Now, of course, as soon as I heard that news, all I could think about were the words of philosopher Eeyore. Nobody listens to me anyway. Truth is, I'm a little colorblind, so uh, that front door may not even be blue, you know? It could be purple or chartreuse or something completely different, so this whole thing may not even be real. I just like the door, and it's not even blue. But, you know, regardless of what color a door may be, it may be slate blue, it may be black, it may be red, it may be plum dandy, it may be Daytona peach, but whatever color it is, we all walk through doors every day. Doors that have been painted, either at our house, at work, a restaurant, somewhere, we walk through painted doors all the time. And sometimes those doors lead to somewhere, but are there some doors that lead to nowhere? Are there some doors that, that actually don't lead you anywhere? Sure, you can get through the door and you can get into the room, but it's not a door that really helps you move forward in life. We continue. I'm just, who knows when this series is going to end, but we're going to continue with doors again this morning. And uh, we're looking at, at some of the most defining doors that we face every day. And our message today is painted doors. And we'll be in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3 is where we'll be looking at this morning. All of us right now are going through some kind of door in life. There's, there's something we're in the middle of. And regardless of what door you are going through right now, the words that Isaiah is going to have for us, these words are words that will truly help us find the best way to keep moving forward in life. Listen to Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 1. Who has believed our report? What were you doing 700 years ago? Can't remember? Need to pull out your day timer, look on the calendar somewhere. How about this one? What will you be doing 700 years from now? I mean, 700 years from now, will, will your stocks or your 401k or your savings account be doing anything for you? 700 years from now, will there be something about, about your house that's, that's gaining equity for you 700 years from now? 700 years from now, will you be playing putt-putt with your family at Captain Hook's Adventure Golf? We all know that the, the questions 
the answers to those questions will be no, 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 no. And so at first glance, it's like, well, golly, that's pretty depressing. But the reality is everything about this report is the opposite of depressing. This report from Isaiah, it is designed to give you confidence. Confidence for for any moment of life that you find yourself in. Not confidence in yourself, not confidence in the stock market, not confidence in the equity of your house, not confidence in your family or your friends, but confidence in Jesus Christ. This report, 700 years before Jesus was born, This report is all about Jesus and helping you find confidence in Jesus. And finding confidence in Jesus in July of 2022, it's a big deal. Why? Well, because if we put our confidence in summer vacation, if we put our confidence in our financial planning, if we put our confidence in the equity of our house or in our 401k plan, if we put our confidence in political parties, even if we put our confidence in the best of our family members or the best of our friends, we are putting confidence in people and places and things that can only help us temporarily. Why? Well, because summer vacation will come to an end. And the stock market was going to go high and, and low and sideways and slantways and long ways and, and back ways. Political parties, political platforms, politicians, they'll come and go. Even the people that we love and rely on will not always be with us. And that includes us. The people who love us and rely on us, one day they will not have us. So we need something sure. We need something that's going to be good 700 years from now, but we need something that was also just as good 700 years ago. We need a sure path, a sure road, something that will not fail us. And that surety, that safety, that path, that confidence is all found in in this one thing right here in this report from Isaiah. And it's not a something, it's a someone, and the someone is Jesus. This report is about you and I finding confidence in Jesus. It's about us finding confidence for the hardest moments in life. So how does this report go about helping us to do that? Well, it starts off kind of strange, right? It starts off saying, well, who's going to believe this? Who's going to believe this story? I looked at a map this week, and if my math is right, um, we could leave here and walk in any direction, and within maybe a 10, maybe maximum 15-minute walk, we could make our way to 30 different churches, at least 30, maybe more, which means if we were getting our car and drive, we could, we could make it to hundreds of churches within 30 minutes, just of, of where we are, hundreds of different churches right here local to us. It's been estimated that there's 1.7 billion websites out there on the old worldwide interweb. And, and I think a safe guess is that at least a million of those, you know, maybe 10 million, 25 million, 50 million, I don't know, are connected to religion. But it doesn't matter how much religious saturation there is on the internet or in our community, that doesn't mean that everybody's religious. 
And it doesn't mean that if there's just a saturation of a lot of churches that profess to be Christian here in our community that there's, there's lots of people, even most people, that are truly saved, that have true saving faith. Why? Well, because true saving faith in Jesus Christ, it requires reliance. The very nature of what it means to have saving faith is that you are relying on Jesus. You're relying on, on who Jesus is. You're relying on what Jesus does. When it came time for God to usher Jesus into the world, he chose to place Jesus on the map in a place that was saturated with religion. Saturated. Steeped in religious tradition. That's where Jesus showed up. And how did the religious people respond to Jesus? The beloved disciple in John chapter 1 said this, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. And yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. The divine power and authority of God came into the community of the church, and the church people rejected the report. The report of Jesus came to the church people, and the church people rejected Jesus. And later on, they, in a sense, legally rejected Jesus by pushing the buttons toward his crucifixion. They would not believe the report. And nothing's new. Nothing's new. There are still deeply religious people that will not believe in the report about Jesus. There are still deeply moral people that will not believe and do not believe in the report about Jesus. There are deeply immoral people that do not believe in the report about Jesus. So why are we here? Why are we gathered together in this moment for the purpose of saying that we believe in the report? Well, the reason we're doing that is because by faith we've received Jesus. The very nature of what it means to have faith is to believe in and rely on and, and trust in Jesus Christ, to, to cling to Jesus as our only hope of salvation. And if we have that faith, it is an amazing reality. If you are saved, it is a miracle. Every person who has ever received salvation in Jesus Christ, it's a miracle. It's a miracle the gospel made it to South Carolina. It's a miracle the, the gospel made it into your family. And we don't mean to, but sometimes we just take it for granted. We take it for granted that, that maybe we heard about Jesus as a kid, that our grandparents or our parents took us to church, or, or even that in, in a general sense, we were at a, a 4th of July picnic and, and they sang some song about God and Jesus. We have so much influence. We've been exposed to the truth about Jesus so many different ways that to actually receive Jesus, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Because everything in us pushes against that reality. Our sin, our pride, our arrogance, our fear, our worry, our stress, our money, 
our education, our accomplishments, our possessions, even our our family and our friends, the, the practical ways that we do things, all of those things push against the reality of what it means to be saved. Push against what it means to have saving faith. And why? Again, because saving faith requires reliance. We know how to rely on our parents. We we know how to rely on our money. We know how to rely on our jobs. We know how to rely on things. But reliance on Jesus Christ is uniquely different. There's, There's something different about it. One night, Jesus was talking to a a Jewish ruler. His name was Nicodemus. And in the course of that conversation, Jesus said this. He said, for God so loved the world that gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever, if anyone and everyone believes in him, they will not perish, but they will have eternal, everlasting life. The picture of the gospel is this, that believing in Jesus is not a one-hit wonder. Believing in Jesus is not this one thing you do at camp or this one thing you do when you're a kid or this one thing you do at a revival meeting or, or this one thing you do at the end of a church service. That is the opposite of how the Bible describes believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is you believe in Jesus on all those one times and all the things I just listed and then you keep believing and you keep believing and you keep believing. There is this habit of relying on Jesus, this habit of trusting in Jesus, this habit of of clinging to Jesus. So how do you know if you're truly relying on Jesus? Well, someone asked it and put it in a, a few questions that go something like this. Do you hate what Jesus hates? Do you hate what Jesus hates? Do you love what Jesus loves? Do you try, none of us are perfect, do you try to live in such a way that, that it would bring good attention to Jesus in a way that would, that would honor him? Do you desire for the will of Jesus to be done? Do you desire for the kingdom of Jesus to come? That, that in no way interrupts our ability to be strong, faithful, joyful citizens of this country, but do you long for another country because as believers we should do you long for the country of jesus the kingdom of jesus do you long for his kingdom to come if you are anywhere in the ballpark of saying yes to any of those questions then there's a pretty good chance you are relying primarily on jesus that your greatest devotion is to Jesus. And relying on Jesus is super important. Here's why. Because praying a a sinner's prayer will not save you. And, And making a profession of faith will not save you. Being baptized will not save you. Being a member of a church will not save you. But relying consistently relying on Jesus Christ, devoting your ultimate hope, your ultimate joy, your ultimate confidence, your ultimate direction in Jesus. That is the path to salvation. That is the way to eternal life. And there is no way that we would find that path on our own. We wouldn't. If we have found the path of salvation, it is a reflection of the kindness and the grace and the goodness of God. 
The Apostle Paul was writing the church at Ephesus. He said it this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. If you believe in the report of Jesus, it is a gift of God. It is this amazing grace that has come to your life. This mercy, this kindness. And 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave a report for Isaiah to give to the people. And part of the report was that the people were going to reject the gift. That that God's people were going to reject the gift. I recently saw a video, I think it's from about five years ago, and it's an interview with an actor. And he says, you know, there's about 3,000 different gods that people believe in out there. And to the Christian, he would say, you don't believe in 2,999 of those gods. And he said, I would just say, I don't believe in one more than you. But it's the one more that matters. It's, it's the one more that makes all the difference when it comes to safety and security and confidence and justice and mercy. The one more matters. And that's what makes the, the Bible such an amazing book because 19, more than 1,900 years before that actor made that statement, the Bible already had a direct response to that thought. Paul was writing to the church at Rome. The church at Rome was sitting in the worldwide epicenter of education and knowledge. And this is what he wrote to them, Romans chapter one. That which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. That actor and you and I inside of us We all have this knowledge that there is one true God. Like, it's inside of us. It's this innate understanding that there is one true God. It is evident, but we push against it. Even as believers, we we push against it sometimes. Paul continued, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So when someone says that they they don't believe in God, what they are doing is they're actually working against their heart. They're, They're actually rejecting something that their heart already knows is true because they were created that way. They're rejecting something that is evident to their heart. They're refusing to believe the report. They have lots of excuses for not believing the report, but but that's all they are. They're, They're excuses for not believing the report about Jesus. So 700 years before Jesus was born, this report comes, it's, it's given, and it begins like this. Who in the world would believe this crazy story and believe that it is the purpose of the universe? It's the purpose of life. It's the purpose for your very soul. That's how the report begins. And then listen how Jesus is described down in verse two. He has no stately form 
or majesty that we would look at him, nor in appearance that we would take pleasure in him. Jesus didn't have any looks. He didn't have any mannerisms. He didn't have any social status. There was nothing about Jesus that you would consider him to be royalty, much less the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. In other words, no one would have looked at Jesus back in the day and went, yeah, that kid's got something going for him, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's gonna make it. No. Listen to the description, goes on in verse three. And like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and, and we had no regard for him. The word despised here, it means to have little or no value. Jesus was not impressive. He was not successful. He wasn't politically powerful. The one who was worthy, worthy, worthy. The one who is worthy, worthy, worthy. The one who will always be worthy, worthy, worthy was considered worthless by the people that looked upon him. Not just upon his crucifixion, but even in the days before. He was despised. People didn't want to see him out of their peripheral. They didn't want nothing to do with him. And this was the report that was supposed to build your confidence, right? This was the report that the people were supposed to hear, and they were supposed to go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in the middle of this hard moment, but I have that report. It's going to help me. I'm in the middle of this, this difficult, impossible moment, but I have this report about Jesus, so it, it's going to help me. And the moment where we breathe our last, this is the report that's supposed to give confidence, and yet this is a report saying nobody even wanted to look at Jesus. That he wasn't important or powerful or successful. So if this is the report that's supposed to give us confidence, it's, it's lacking. At least it seems that way, Right? I mean, because the truth is, this report still sounds a little cray-cray, okay? This report still sounds hard to believe. It, it sounds too good to be true. And yet, this is the report we were given. The great king, the one who is holy, holy, holy. This is the report he's given us to believe, to keep, and to share. Greg Morse tells a, a story of a man who was sitting at the cornerstone of 10 different paths. And the greatest king of the greatest kingdom came by that day upon the man and he stopped and talked to him and he told him about every single one of the 10 paths. So you couldn't see where the paths were going because the fog was so thick in that area. So all you could see was the beginning of the path. Or we could say all you could see was the door. You couldn't see what was on the other side of the door. And so the great king sat with the man and he told them about the paths. One of the paths led to a den of lions. One of the paths led to a, a, a cliff that dropped off immediately and you didn't know you were there and, and below were just nothing but jagged rocks. One of those paths that led to a, a dark forest with bloodthirsty animals. Another path that led to a swamp with inescapable quicksand. Another one led to a, a tribe of cannibals, and there were four more that also had terrifying fates, but there was only one path that led to the great 
kingdom. And so the king told the man, he said, I want to give you a charge. I want you to stay here. And anybody who travels by, I want you to tell them about the paths, but I want you to tell them about the path to life, the path to my kingdom. And that was his charge. So the king went off to the great kingdom and and the man stayed. And the first traveler that came by was a young man. And the young man came by and the man said, oh, I I have great news for you. The great king of, of this world, he, he showed me the path to life. These other paths, they're destructive, but, but here is the path of life. Please take this path. The young man just shrugged his shoulders and ignored him. Just, just went down one of the other paths. And, and the man cried out to him, no, please come back, come back. The young man just ignored him and walked on. The man went and, and sat down. He was devastated. He said, what, what should I have said? Should I have done something different? The next traveler that came by was a young woman. And again, the man told her about the past and told her about the path of life. But she decided to go down a different path. And she said, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. The next travelers that came by were a husband and a wife. And the man told them about the past and, and told them about the path to life. And the husband said, gosh, that's so arrogant. That's so judgmental. There's only one good path. And the wife said, you know, love would allow anybody to take any path they want to at any time. And for days, this went on. Every traveler that came by, the the man would say, look, these are where these, it's foggy, you can't see, but these are where these nine paths go. But, But this path, this is the path to the kingdom, the kingdom that will satisfy you. The kingdom that your heart longs for the most, it's it's on this path. But no one would listen. No one would listen. They just kept going their own way. They would not believe the report. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're wasting your time believing this report about Jesus? Do you ever feel like you're wasting your time proclaiming the report about Jesus? Maybe this, this is all just some kind of fairy tale and, and man, we're just, we're just spinning our wheels. Greg Morris went on to say this. I have often asked with Isaiah, who has believed this report? And the temptation to compromise finds me in my defeat and it whispers to me, is it really worth it? Did God really say that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And then he goes on. Jesus is the one name offered to you for salvation. He is the only one who can take away your sins. Your good works will not spare you. Your good character will not shelter you. Your good intentions will not clothe your nakedness. The angel of death walks outside and only the door with Christ's blood painted on the frame can shelter you. So the report from the one true, mighty, merciful, gracious king of the universe, at first glance, it sure sounds judgmental. It it sure sounds so unnecessarily exclusive. 
It sure sounds like we're saying, oh, the 2,099 other gods are, are wrong and the one is right. And it sounds that way because it is that way. But it's the only report we have. And it's the greatest report because it's the only report that is safe and secure. It's the only report that stands the test of time. Because the report is this. There's only one painted door that leads to life. Only one. And, and it's amazing. But because behind that door is the only lasting safety. Behind that door is the only lasting security. Behind that door is the only God for eternity with arms wide open to every person who believes on the name of his son. And he says, welcome home. And he loves us and we are satisfied forever. Listen, I know that sounds pie in the sky. I got it, okay? But can I just tell you, there is no pie on this earth. It's not. There is no pie of love, no pie of justice, no pie of wrath, no pie of politics, no pie of religion, no pie of practicality. There is nothing on this earth that will ever satisfy your soul forever. So we reach into heaven to receive perfect, true, pure love, safety, security, confidence, hope, and we take that and then we infuse it into the world. A world that does not have those things in lasting measure. Again, what we're looking for is something that was solid 700 years ago and it'll be solid 700 years from now. My wife and I, a few weeks ago, uh, went to a restaurant here in town, and, and I went yesterday, um, no, Friday, uh, with my daughter. And, and where we sit on the wall, there's a, a bunch of bookshelves. And on the bookshelves are a bunch of old encyclopedias. And I'm just that guy, you know? I mean, they're there. Why not read them, you know? So I always grab an encyclopedia while I'm waiting for the food, and I'm flipping through, learning about the world, you know? It's always something interesting. But you know, I've found every single time when I open up those pages, there's some person or, or some idea on that page, it's changed. Either that person's dead or, or even what they discovered, it was only partially true and now there's, there's more truth, there's more understanding to it. In other words, every single one of those pages, the information goes back and forth. Some of it's true, some of it's not, some of it's not good anymore, some of it is still really good. But here's the thing about the truth of the report of Jesus. There's never a time that it's ever been picked up in the history of the world where it didn't have the same value, the same impact, the same power. That's what's so stunning about this report. Only the report about Jesus can give you confidence today that will still be extremely valuable 700 years from now for you. 
spiritually and eternally speaking, the question for all of us is simply this. What color is your front door?